0: Inescapably,
1: inescapably, inescapably foreign. Welcome to Without Borders. This is the podcast for nomads, expats, third culture children, immigrants, and anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. I'm your host, Nolan Yuma Janssens. I highly recommend you tune in to the episode from last week because I'm here talking to Tima Darian. Uh, Tima Darian made headlines because she was one of the first uh, or the first Lebanese woman to climb the Mount Everest. But what we're focusing on today is Borderless.
0: Okay, so uh, Borderless started in 2015, um, and it was, um, it was focused on protecting children, uh, marginalized children in disadvantaged communities. And... Um, Seven years later, the center was up and running in Uzay, and as I mentioned, uh, the activities were being implemented. And then the blast happened uh, in 2020 on August, and Boardness was on ground uh, consistently. So, this, after the second day of the blast, uh, Boardness team went on ground, and they were catering to the needs for the for the community because it was disaster, uh, and should be also in the news. Um so being there borderless was not uh, an NGO that can go in and, and rehabil- rehabilitate uh, houses. But we did collect a lot of not a lot, but we collected enough funds to be able to uh support the community. We we were able to fix about sixteen houses in the community. But what we really focused on was um why the house is being fixed, uh a lot of children were on the street. Uh, so nobody was going to school. Everybody was so busy with the disaster. And borderless came into the community. And we simply had a table outside in the middle of the community. With a small, very humble text. And we would phone out. We would call on all the children. Children would come. And we would start doing psychosocial support sessions. We started doing activities. And our volunteers started growing. Uh, we had about six to seven volunteers on grass. So once we had more volunteers, we were doing a lot of needs assessment. Uh, We divided the team who were giving the social worker, who were doing the psychosocial support to the children. And we also had psychosocial support sessions for women. Uh, So we were trying to really be there for the community as much as we can while their houses were being fixed. And a month or two later, we realized that there was a big need at Quarantina and there was a really a big need for borderless activities because we realized that children need more education, needs more um, retention support because they were out of school and because of the COVID situation. So there was a lot of um, issues in the community and we felt that borderless existence would really cater to their needs. Um, so we kept on looking into in, in the area to see if we can establish a center. And that's what happened. We found a very nice, um, a humble center in the middle of the community. Um, and, uh, and the founder had a really beautiful vision of replicating everything she'd done in Uzari and do it in Canada, And that's exactly what happened. Uh, a few months into it, after finding the center... Uh, we rehabilitated the whole place, and it was a safe space where children knew that women can come, feel safe, uh, get education, mm-hmm. uh, upskill their skills, and uh, feed in the power, basically. And the center was designed in that way. Um, and it's been about now, I think, two I mean, two years and a few months, uh, the center has all the activities. And we're reaching out to everybody in the community. And not only in Quarantina, we're doing the outskirts of Quarantina right now because we are expanding that way.
1: Okay. Well, in the previous episode, we expanded a lot on the psychotherapy and mental health. Um, now, for people who want to come to the center mm-hmm. and volunteer, do you have any information for them or any
0: yeah, but so we have different programs for volunteers. So we have a lot of people who come in to their internship. So that's one thing. And we have a lot of people to come in, like just volunteer at a lot volunteering hours. And volunteering with Borderless is really beautiful because you really join a family. You don't just join a huge NGO. We're a local NGO and everybody knows everyone. And it's a lot of fun on there. Uh, not only working with beneficiaries, because beneficiaries already established that relationship with borderless. So if you're wearing a borderless vest, beneficiaries know you're like the same person to come and talk to. Of course, after betting everybody uh, from the management team um so what what volunteers can come and do they can come teach english they can come and teach uh, a skill they can come teach music uh draw the children like ours and macrame we've had uh, volunteers come and do um mandanas so there's a lot and teach photography and teach photography yeah they can come in and teach photography but you can come in and teach how to start your own podcast, for example So it can be anything and everything that can uh, widen the horizon of um, the person you are working with. So you can come and volunteer with the children, youth or women, or you can come and volunteer with the management. Uh, So we always uh, have assistance. We always need assistance, especially when it comes to social media, when it comes to uh, proposal writing, maybe when it comes to idea brainstorming ideas on how to expand or how to connect information. Um, so we can cater to the community. Uh, So it can be anything and everything. And when it comes to volunteering, I always say come and volunteer for at least four to six weeks uh, if you want to leave an impact when you're working with the beneficiaries and, of course, if you want to leave a legacy when you're working with the
1: management. And why do you say four to six weeks?
0: Because in two weeks, I feel it's, it's okay, but... In two weeks, that a relationship starts building. In two weeks, you start understanding how really borderless is at the core of it. Uh, if you go and spend like a week there, you get the idea of what borderless stands for and how it runs and who it reaches out to. And then the second week, you start feeling much like more part of the community, and uh, um, you have new ideas. Third week. This is what usually happens. Third, big volunteers will come up to us and say, "Okay, look, but we can do this, we can do that," because now they have the full picture that is extremely clear, and they can start um, coming up with new ideas. and uh, And I mean, it's it will be easier and and clearer for them to plan their project, and then they can implement the project, or they can. Well, some some people would come and like work, do one on ones with beneficiaries, or decide uh, the social support, and some people would like shift they would come in to do something and then they realize they they want to like be in another department and they fit better and they can um do a better and, better and and they do that so and we have a lot of volunteers that came to volunteer and now they are staff like they are part of the the the, the staff at Word of this um so really when it comes to people and um People who join us, whether for uh, to work or to volunteer, there's always um, a chance to grow and expand your knowledge to
1: the NGO industry, if you want to say that. Okay. And for those who want to join the internship, uh, do you recommend that they volunteer first and then join the internship program? Or can you dive right into the internship program?
0: I mean, it depends where you're coming from. So if you're going to fly from somewhere really boring, uh and you want to do your internship, then just come and do your internship. But you can also volunteer if you're going to have time. So it really depends on your, on your time frame. Um, but you can always come and start your internship with Borderless.
1: Okay. Now, another question I have is, how does Borderless NGO make sure that the volunteers can stay in touch with the children after? Because from my volunteer experience, there's always that bittersweet, well, actually, just more bitter and sad at the end where you say goodbye to everyone. And from my experience, I, I was never able to get in touch with those children again. Um, so what are some ways that the volunteers could stay in touch and keep building these relationships? Because, of course, these things should be ongoing, right? You can't just, well, people do, but I don't believe in just showing up and then leaving, right? I think whenever you're volunteering, it has to be something ongoing.
0: I think this is a great point to touch on, um, and I wish more volunteers would like think uh, the same way you're thinking right now. Staying in touch with the community is very important because the community also get attached to the volunteer. They remember everything that the volunteer have done to them, and to keep them in touch is really for the volunteer. So it's it's really up to the volunteer. The volunteer can reach out to the list be fast with our response and you can tell them look i want to interact with the children i want to stay in touch and um, maybe they can give a session through Zoom and we can bring in the children to the center and the volunteer can stay in touch so this really goes back to the volunteer and how much time they want to give the NGO. and if they really want to stay connected then we will always make it
1: happen okay perfect that's good to know Uh, Now, Tima, is there anything else you want to mention about the centers or about the NGO right now? Because I do want to know a little bit more about your personal journey and tying this into Borderless as well, of course, because a big part of Borderless is empowering women, right? So I want to know a little bit about your journey as finding empowerment and how you've been empowering women since then.
0: So my personal journey with, with Borderless uh, started right um, before, actually before the blast. So after having the, the talk with the children, I did stay in touch. Um, yeah. So I was going back to the community center. So that was an option. Uh, and then after the blast, I decided to stay with them. And um, I never lived in Lebanon for as long as I lived that year because I wanted to be with Borderless. So um, after being in quarantine, I started with a little bit of software work, and then I was managing social workers, and then I moved to project managing. And then from project managing, I started like uh, overseeing uh, the the build up and the the rehabilitation, as I say, the when they were fixing the the community center, and then we got your project that we were doing at project managing, and then a lot happened and. For me, as, as Tima, as my personal journey, I never thought I would be part of an NGO and I never thought I would do that much of software work. And I've always wanted to give back, but I never thought I'd had the opportunity to give back with that intensity. Yes. Um, and then uh, working with the management and the board uh, and going back to the point where you really can be anything and everything when it comes to borderless, as long as you are committed and you want to be part of it, uh, they saw my work, uh, they saw how passionate I was towards the NGO and my consistency on the ground, my work, and they would trust me with project managing. So I moved into operations and I was doing the operational side of borderless. and now instead of just being in, in the Quarantina community, I was in both Uzay and Quarantina. And by then, I've been exposed to so many activities of workers. I've uh, I volunteered to educate children. I volunteered to help the youth. I volunteered to empower women. I started my personal project with the women empowering programs that they provide. So it was a lot of a lot of connections. It was it was just the right thing to do, and I was getting to know one country because uh, it was the longest time I've lived in Lebanon. Um, so I. I after being in the operational side, we started writing proposals and started, uh, of course, as a team, and the team started winning more funding because our work spoke for itself on the ground. And uh, we've reached a lot of beneficiaries. And the NGO was really growing at a fast rate, uh, in a good way, because one, there is need, and two, there was a lot of uh, work that was being done by the team to cater and bring in what uh, the community needs. And, uh, and yeah, and then after that, I had to leave Lebanon uh, and I wanted to stay connected to Borderless uh, and having my background when it comes to mountaineering and when it comes to uh, raising awareness on uh, on topics that touch base on children, youth, and women and being a feminist. My whole project started with them. Mm. Um, they offered me to become a board member. And of course, that was an honor for me to be a board member at Borderless. And now I'm a board member, so I started like a, an an mm-hmm. avid social worker. So I'm more into management, and then to so a board member.
1: Okay, so that's
0: my journey in a nutshell.
1: Well, now you've traveled a lot, right? You've been all around the world with mountaineering. Um, by the way, anyone who's interested in learning more about the mountaineering side of things, you can find that on BBC, CNN, any any pretty much any major news channel. Uh, but what I'm curious about here is, of course, when you Leave your country, sometimes it takes leaving your country to actually understand your country, right? Sometimes people have a perception like, oh, the people who live within that country know the country the best. That's not always true. Sometimes you have to leave to see what's going on, right? You need to have both perspectives. And of course, in many Western countries, there are more egalitarian views um, towards with women, Right. And I'm just wondering from your experience traveling around the world and going to some of these different countries, how are you trying to bring some of these egalitarian views to Lebanon?
0: So my mission was not just Lebanon. So my mission is to really present the strength of an Arab woman um, Mm. to the world. And um, traveling to six continents and to a lot of countries. And being in remote areas, of course, I've always got discriminated, whether uh, consciously or subconsciously by someone. I get asked unnecessary questions. And those are a few things that really, build uh, that um, passion towards feminism and wanting people to talk more about women's rights. Mm. So uh, as a woman, um, I I had to speak up and I had to make that change. And as I said, to make a change, you start sharing your authentic, true story and I would talk about women in the Middle East, and I would talk about what we do in the Middle East. So I did live in the UAE, but I'll, I, I've I been everywhere. And every time I go anywhere, and when people ask me where I'm from, and when I say I'm from Lebanon, and then I have this conversation like, oh, really? Oh, you've done all this, and you are from the Middle East? So so it impacts it me sometimes, but uh, uh, later on, you start realizing that People want to know and you need to expose them to think and you can walk around to talk about your story. Um, so I, from my part, what I try to do for the Lebanese woman and from, for the Arab woman is to really represent the, the image of uh, the, the strong Arab woman who is able to do anything and everything. Mm. And uh, I'm one about breaking
1: barriers. Yes. And do you find that... When people were asking you questions about your journey, are they different when it comes from uh well first first, let's look at women Arabic women asking you questions about your journey versus maybe some Western women asking about your journey, and then let's take a look at maybe how men in the west ask ask you about your journey versus men in the Arabic world
0: mm-hmm. um it's It's a nice way. But, uh, but I've, I've never compared it in my hand how the West and, 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 and us, like in the Middle East, uh, the Western. Okay. But it's interesting because I do have some people um uh, w- w- from anywhere. It can be like, I've been discriminated in Alaska. And I'm like, what is this desert girl doing in Alaska to, trying to climb mountains? And I was also discriminated in the Middle East. What is this Arab girl trying to do with climbing mountains? You really need to get your life together. And at the same time, I've been praised from the West. But look at this Arab woman breaking barriers, because I think they have more probably background about how women are evolving in the Middle East and how the laws are changing. And at the same time, I've been praised in the Middle East about, oh, look at this woman; she's representing me. She's doing stuff to elevate women, elevate our community, and make that change. So I've really received those comments uh, from both sides. Um, and when it comes to questions, I do deal with unnecessary questions uh, and I do deal with really, really nice questions and that are eye-opening for me that helps me uh, shape my my story and, and put it out there.
1: Okay. I love that insight because, again, that breaks down borders, right? Sometimes when we are com- we don't need to compare culture to culture, it really comes down to the person. Exactly. Uh, now, I have a note here and I'm curious to see what you think about it. Because at Borderless, yeah, you also teach, well, a lot of people teach English, right, to the mm-hmm. children. And I think that's very important because language plays a role with how you feel. And there was one study um, by Danziger and Ward, and it was con- uh, they conducted a study with um, Arab Israelis who are bilingual in Arabic and Hebrew. And they found that this group had more negative associations with Jewish names when they were presented in Arabic than when they were presented in Hebrew Hebrew, and the reverse was true for their associations with uh, Arabic names now the similar studies have been done with chinese Canadians, and like they were much more likely to view themselves positive when writing in English than when writing in english uh, when writing in chinese so of course, language speaks um well, it's, the idea is that la- language uh, uh, associates with a cultural network and this influences how you think. Do you agree with this at all? And
0: in... I mean, um, so we do teach them English because we want them to be able to integrate in, in the job market. There is a lot of uh, life requirement for a job, for you to write an email, for you to navigate.
1: Of but, course, I think that's kind of like the obvious reason to learn English, but there might be a deeper thing as well going on here.
0: I mean, definitely, but being a multilingual person, so I speak English and Arabic, and I think in English and I think in Arabic, so, um, we, no, I think beneficiaries can express themselves much better when they speak in Arabic, and it comes out more authentic and natural. in I mean, the Arabic language is one of the most beautiful languages anyone can learn. And us, at least for me, I'm an Arabic speaker and I wish I can even speak better and write better and get deeper into the language because it can go on and on and on with the findings and the expressions that the Arabic language have. And um, so you're really asking about the connotation when it comes to language and culture, and I don't see... uh, When someone speaks their mother tongue and they know the the right words and they they are deep in the language it comes out more beautiful and I think the association would be more positive
1: okay so you don't think by learning English or learning some different languages that they might be able to um, maybe access a different part of themselves that they might find empowerment through
0: I think it would give them more confidence and I think this question should be to like it beneficially because I speak yeah. language and I'm actually curious to know what they say if that language is helping them explore a different side of themselves. And you know what? I'm gonna ask them and let you know.
1: Okay, yeah, I would love to know that because I was it's something that I'm interested in myself and I think linguists will debate this as well, of course, right? Like how much does language actually influence behavior? But it's definitely something important to think about. Um now, what about for you? I ask a lot of people this on the show when they're multilingual or bilingual. Uh, do you feel like you have a bit of a different personality in the different languages you speak? Because a lot of polyglots say that, that you need to kind of develop a different part of yourself when you're learning a new language because, of course, culture influences your personality. And to understand the language, you kind of have to understand the culture and develop that part of yourself.
0: Nice. Um so, of course, I do feel different. So when I speak in English, I'm a little bit more fluent. Uh, I have my words because I grew up in the UAE and I speak with everybody in the UAE because there's a lot of culture. English was the main language. Um, but my my moderate tongue is, is Arabic. But my I think my English at this point is a little bit better than my Arabic. But I'm working on both, of course, because that's what you speak most of the time. Uh, and it does make a difference in Arabic I feel um, it's interesting how you ask how you feel because have you read the book Alter Ego and it talks no. about okay sometimes you can wear glasses and you'd feel smarter and there's a type there's a research psychological research that says um, if you're dancing somewhere and you wear a hat then you are more likely to dance in your own skin and feel more comfortable because you, if you wear a hat yeah when you put okay. on a hat yeah, I mean, like it changes. Like you're a little bit more confident, and same thing with that. what that book it talks about when you put on, for example, the glasses. We always like wear something, and it makes us feel like we're not someone else, but like an alter ego. Uh, and I think it's the same with languages. I think it it applies on languages. I think when I speak Arabic, um, it it gives me a sense of uh, strength. It gives me a sense of uh, confidence. Uh, And I'm able to portray myself uh, in a way that is uh, not only expressive, but I think uh, it's very, very nice and delicate and classy. And uh, when I speak English, I'm able to explain, I'm able to go to in-depth conversation, I'm able to brainstorm, and and it's just easier for my brain to to think and be creative.
1: Okay. And um, Curly Adventures was first written in English then?
0: Exactly, I explained okay. right, right. Yeah, so I translated it, and I had to get a lot of help with the translation Arabic because I had to use the proper literature Arabic uh, that is also easy to read by the children because the book targets children between the ages of six to eleven. So I did write it in English because I think in English I remember my my stories in English. So my first draft was in English, and I had to like adjust it to children's um, way for them to understand it. And only a few month ago, I translated to Arabic, and I have to get a lot of help.
1: Okay. Now, when you're reading your own book now, uh, so b- by the way, listeners, the book is Curly Adventures. I'll put a link in the description. Um, how does it feel to you now when you read it in Arabic? Does it does the story feel a little bit different at all? Or
0: I sound like a child sometimes when I'm reading it in Arabic. <laughs> It's that's funny, but I mean, really it, it's nice to read it in Arabic because I was not able to translate all the words to Arabic. So I had to change the structure of the sentence or the paragraph for, for it to mm-hmm. be easier to read. You cannot literally translate. A, you'd have to use different words, different structure. And I think that's the beautiful side of the Arabic language. And this is what's making me fall more in love with the Arabic language at this point in my life. Um, so it it, it does be a different when i read it in the arabic
1: okay interesting um anything else you want to mention about borderless right now because we're coming up on the, yeah. the end of the episode any final notes you want to mention here because i want to make sure that the listeners know everything they need to know about borderless and um well kind of entice them to check it out
0: I mean, I think I would just call on listeners to come, uh, actually to first look up what Borderless is, check out the pages, and then I would love to like see from them emails at least or DMs on them showing interest, whether to volunteer, whether to join, whether they have ideas, whether they have fundraising ideas, campaigns. I mean, Borderless is open to anything and everything that supports us in instilling the freedom to dream and the power to achieve. To be able to educate children, youth, uh, upskill youth, and empower. Um, and it can be anybody and everybody it's listening to your podcast today.
1: Perfect. Well, I have one more note then uh, relating to um, female empowerment, women empowerment. And it's the idea of essentialization. I'm just going to read this here. Another way that we consider how culture influences people's perceptions of gender is to determine which gender identity is viewed to be more essentialized. And in other words, this is just, uh, which gender do you think has less flexible ways of being expressed in a socially approved ways? Uh, For example, in in Western countries, it's more accepted by society for women to dress like in boys' clothes than men to dress in women's clothes, right? Mm -hmm. Not that it should be like this, but that's just how it is. And this means women's gender identity is not essentialized. As much, um, but then, like according to the Hindu religion, female identity is viewed as pure, strong, and powerful. And then they did this study where they asked Indian, oh, uh, uh, they, yeah, asked Indian participants to imagine that Kumar, a male, has his brain switched with Meena, a female. And on average, Indians felt that Kumar's body would act more like a woman if it has Mina's brain in it. In contrast, on average, they felt that Mina's body would continue to act like a woman, even with Kumar's brain in it, right? So it's kind of interesting sense of essentialization. And I'm just wondering what it is like in many parts of the Arabic world. Uh, Do you feel like women are essentialized or that men are more essentialized? And how does this play a role in gender equality and how does this play a role in empowering women?
0: I think both gender are essentialized. Um, I mean when we speak about women, there's a lot of barriers, there's a lot of unnecessary challenges that women need to go through to get to their goals, um, get things done. They we, we need to have irrelevant conversations, irrelevant approvals, but it's what's embedded in the culture and what's they know. And um you see a lot of women today using a lot of opportunities because they need to go conform to culture, they need to uh make sure that their families are happy. they need to make sure that they are uh not doing stuff that are not accepted in society and this is where feministity comes in and says, no, you can do anything no matter who you are. uh you wanna climb mountains you wanna dive in the sea you wanna skydive, you wanna learn something you wanna work as a mechanic, you can do anything and everything um but it's the same for men as well, because when it for men they have a different kind of challenges they they still cannot express emotions they cannot express vulnerability um and i think there's a lot of research right now that shows how much men are being affected because of the fact that they are emotionally oppressed because you cannot be vulnerable in in, in society you cannot show that you're sad or you're crying and and i think it's 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 a very big challenge because it does affect not the mental health only but the physical health and it can result in death. Um, and that's dangerous. Um, and this is what we're trying to change with portal as well. We do have some sessions for men who are willing to act come and and listen and and be open to do a psychosocial support session because that's a really big thing. Imagine the whole community is seeing you going into the center to do a psychosocial support session. You'd be looked down at and people would make fun of you. But we're trying to change that, the community, for them to be able to feel lighter.
1: Okay, I love that. Well, Tima, thank you so much for sharing everything today. Uh, It's truly been an honor to have you on the show. I was, as I said earlier, I was a little bit nervous, but changed that to excitement.
0: (laughs) Great. No, I really enjoyed my talk with you. It was great questions. I think you're a great host. Uh, I love the name of the podcast and I really wish you all the best. I hope you grow in the right direction.
1: Thank you, Tima. All right. So listeners, again, please check out WithoutBorders.fyi. You can also access a transcript there because I try to make this accessible to language learners. And with the transcript, you can always use a Google Chrome extension and translate it. And please check out borderlessngo.org. There will also be a link there in the description. Tune in next time.